0: this episode is sponsored by anchor.fm if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast so let me explain basically it's free secondly there's creation tools that allow you to record and also edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer And after which, Anchor will automatically distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. You can also make money from your podcast with literally no minimum listenership. So it's everything you basically need in a podcast in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started today. Mark, welcome to the Naked Dialogue podcast. How are you doing? What's up?
1: I'm good. Um, glad to hear you. How are you doing?
0: Fine, just relatively tired from like the class, but fine. Yes.
1: No, yeah. understandable. I had classes too today.
0: <laughs> yeah. How many classes did you have?
1: Um, I think about two, but I was working beforehand, so.
0: Yeah, that's tiring. So, tell me about yourself, tell the world who you are and what you like, just go off.
1: Well, I'm not gonna tell much, Uh, probably just some uh, general information that's gonna be related to our talk. Um, I'm a student in university, majoring in philosophy, minor in psychology. Um, I wouldn't say that, I'm interested in something particular. I'm interested generally in everything that can bring uh, purpose or uh, some interesting experiences uh, and influence my life to certain degree. So I'm open to a variety of spheres and variety of information. Um, So yeah, I think that's uh, enough in terms of general information and uh, anything uh, we can. Anything that you're interested, you can ask later on and you can be more specific about it.
0: Yeah, so like, what's your goal with this degree itself? Like, do you, like, did you plan on to do this degree or was it like uh, something that was right there in front of you you thought that you should take this opportunity and do this degree and figure, because liberal arts is like a program wherein you have all these, you know, humanities faculties And people, you know, usually go in in with the intention that they can choose uh, a certain subject and like explore the subjects and then choose the particular subjects they're interested in. So like right now, we're in the third year of our program. So what, what do you think about this program? Do you like it? Have you figured out any particular interests or are you still figuring out?
1: Uh, well, look, it's it's generally a tough question because at the same time you're asking about everything and then you're asking uh, about something particular. I think uh, I will start with the last question of yours related to uh, me uh, liking the program or uh, me not enjoying it. I think. Um, in general i wouldn't say i'm here for the program um, i chose liberal arts uh, because of philosophy and psychology um, just to fulfill my future plans related to uh, the korea uh, to uh, business management or administrative manage- management uh, or uh, in general logistics let's say um, it's just i believe that in order to uh, start dealing with um, harder spheres, not even harder, but uh, more uh, spheres that involve management or under- management of people, management of structure, uh, making sure that everything works uh, accordingly and uh, uh, or you can create a specific uh, creative way of uh, solving a problem. You need to have a, spe- a specific basis. Uh, um, in general, I know for sure that uh, my future career is going to be involved Um with the people and uh, currently the job I had, well I still have, I was just sent on the unpaid leave uh, during the, due to the pandemic COVID-19. Um, I would say that um, philosophy was a necessary subject, um, so, was, so was psychology. Uh, later on I think in a small period of time it developed into not just a necessity but something that became uh, valuable, dear and uh, Um, an important topic that was involved in my life.
0: I feel like definitely you need to know a bit of philosophy or at least the ethics part of the philosophy in order to go for any kind of business, MBA degree uh, area. And yeah, it is very interesting what you're doing. Uh, Of course, like the COVID-19 pandemic has affected everyone's long-term goals in the sense that they have affected like the long-term decision-making of people. So that's also, you know, understandable. I mean, talking about like ethics and and philosophy and business, do you feel like um, you're interested like within philosophy as a broader subject? Are you interested in ethics particularly because you're interested in business or you feel like you like to uh, explore more other faculties of philosophy, like philosophy of language, philosophy of mind, in order to like broaden your viewpoint of life and existence and, and more, you know, ontological questions like that?
1: Well, look, I think um, it's not the first option or the second option that you gave. I think that um, it's not a question of is it philosophy for business or it's business for philosophy. It's a question that both of those spheres are heavily correlated if it's not even the question about business it's a general question if you're planning to work with people in my understanding you cannot work with people without know, knowing the basics the basics the basis are the philosophy the psychology the way you understand people and uh, of course um you can start as many do uh start specific careers from the bachelor degree and just go specifically studying let's say business administration and just do that for a bachelor's then continue doing it for master's and so on Uh, And then get MBA degrees after you get some work experience, perhaps. But I do believe that um, there is a reason why when you choose philosophy, let's say for bachelor's or major majoring in philosophy. uh, When you're applying to masters, you can practically apply to majority of masters. Of course, I'm not speaking about uh, programs that involve um, exact sciences such as physics or chemistry because that's a completely different story. Or if you want to be a doctor, of course, you cannot apply with philosophy. But in general, um, you can apply to the same business administration and master's or um, financial management or anything that you would desire. You can receive the same ba- basis and master's and then continue on uh, to MBA. It's just, I believe that, of course, it's the mathematical knowledge would be easier to, uh, to understand because I believe that, uh, and it's not just even the question of me believing it, if you look at the first philosophy that existed, um, or even the fathers of philosophy, the Greek Greek philosophers, Um, it's um, it's easy to understand that they were not just interested in the way they were thinking, or people are thinking, but mainly in uh, in, in all the spheres. So uh, they were interested in mathematics, they were interested in physics, they were interested in how the whole world, how the whole universe works. And I think this is very important to understand. The same with even contemporary philosophers. Um, we can speak about the father of modern philosophy, which everyone uh, who is studying liberal arts is fed off, well, such as uh, Descartes. But nevertheless, Descartes is an amazing human being who was not just a philosopher but he and not just a profound thinker. He was a scientist. His works on optics are uh, incredible, and uh, you cannot just uh, study philosophy without not studying any other sphere, it's just this subject allows you to understand that there is no uh, sphere in the world that is not interesting or is not worth studying, it's just your own preference, it opens your eyes to a certain degree.
0: Yeah, no, indeed very true, because um, you referenced Greek philosophy and I mean it is important to establish that philosophy was like the first subject ever to exist and philosophers like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, they were not only studying the general idea of the world in a very uh, philosophical term, but they were also studying the philosophy of mathematics, geometry. We had Pythagorean, Pythagoreans come up and there's like a whole series of, you know, philosophy-based sciences that came out later. Uh, But yes, it is definitely, interesting to see that philosophy is the one subject that allows people to be examining everything instead of, you know, just something like particulars. I mean, yes, there are particulars, but the particulars are obviously going to come out of a very broadened sense of uh, a subject. And so philosophy was the first subject. And there came in, you know, mathematics, geometry, um exact sciences as you mentioned and and just other other fields in general so in what exact sphere of philosophy do you most find yourself being uh comfortable with or thinking the most about
1: well again i would say i would answer that with um The sentence that you already heard that uh, it's relatively a hard topic because you know when when we're speaking about like even the Greek philosophy, I wouldn't say that I'm I have profound knowledge in either Greek philosophy or contemporary philosophy or um, if I would even divide it to Western and Eastern, um, I think it's important to understand it's not a question of profound knowledge or having immense amount of knowledge uh, or being able to talk about every single topic or about a particular topic in um, huge depth. It's a question of um, understanding that there is a lot of knowledge that one has to accumulate. And uh, I think one of the ways to approach it is uh, the way Socrates was approaching it as well, the way um, that you cannot admit that you are all-knowing creature. You cannot admit that you know things because as soon as you know things, it means that you're saying yes or no, you're saying something particular. you're saying that there is hundred percent possibility of this uh, thing that I'm speaking about. And of course, if I will say that I know something that uh, means that I'm uh, um, I'm studying philosophy in a wrong way in my understanding. I'm studying philosophy not to know something, but just to know more. There is no point where I will say that uh, I'm 100% sure about something. Uh, I will never uh, completely agree or disagree with something. I think everything should be looked uh, from both sides. Or perhaps there is a third side. You don't have to necessarily just fall into the false dilemma of just two options, which uh, our world is used to. I think, in general, I'm interested in... Uh, all kinds of philosophy. I think every author that was published, uh, that was paid attention to uh, in specific time in history, uh, deserves uh, attention. Um, Of course, um, it's my decision, in the end of the day, to say after I read him or her that um, it's interesting, or it's not interesting, but it's merely my opinion, but it still doesn't cancel out um, that I shouldn't read him or I shouldn't read her. You know, it's... uh, The idea that in order to speak about something you have to experience it and even if you think that this is something that you already know, well there there might be some kind of new information and uh, if it is the same information that you already read before, well perhaps it's also good because you know you just repeating information is not a bad thing or rereading something is not a bad thing, I I reread paragraphs, I reread books, I try to uh, go over the material uh, over and over again, because every time I read something, I understand something better or actually come to new conclusions, which of course probably existed before me, but you know, it's still nice to understand that every time you read something, you can find uh, some new piece of information.
0: Based on what you said, I think it is fair to understand that you take philosophy as an enjoyable mental activity. Uh, in order to better understand the world or the immediate external reality around you. And so you see it as a subject worth reading, worth knowing, as opposed to worth uh, collecting in terms of information. So you see philosophy as, as a mental activity, um, which is completely beautiful because that's how it should be you know studied as if you're trying to accumulate as much knowledge as possible then it defeats the purpose of having the knowledge and being able to articulate the knowledge wall because it only implies that you're collecting knowledge in order to uh, prove certain standard of society who knows If philosophy is taken as like a mental activity wherein a person genuinely interested in the subject sits down, opens their book, goes through all these philosophers, their ideas, and they try to apply their implications onto the external reality of their own and and come to their own philosophical conclusions, that's how philosophy truly should be or started as.
1: I mean, do you believe in? In that way of studying, I mean, you, of course, you just said that this is uh, the right way of studying it. But for example, how do you study philosophy yourself? Because I understand you're very into the subject in general, too. So uh, what's your approach And it? Do, are you studying a particular part of philosophy, let's say? Uh, are you t- uh, yeah.
0: Uh, like for me, I feel like liberal arts was a good um starting point uh, in order to start uh, learning about what philosophy really is um and i feel like this was probably the first time i was exposed to the western philosophy as opposed to esoteric philosophy or or theological philosophy mystical philosophy that i grew up you know knowing about living in an eastern society but um Philosophy, just as a, as a broadened subject, I feel like I got to discover it when I started reading, you know, Descartes and all these uh, main uh, figures in philosophy in university. Um, and I figured out that the way to learn is not to accumulate all the knowledge, because I would go to classes, I would go to uh, lectures. And you know, there are people just talking, just like not even talking and explaining points, but like spitting points. So there's like a difference between spitting knowledge and, and, you know, exposing uh, your ideas about knowledge to the uh, people around you. And, And I figured out that distinction really quick. And so the way I read philosophy from that point to now is that if I'm interested, in a particular section, or if I go through a particular reader, maybe, you know, the professor talked about in class, or I saw a YouTube video, I would dive into it, but I would not learn it in order to accumulate knowledge. I would learn it in order to understand what the subject matter is really about. So I feel like, you know, now I, after two years of more or less like jumping through to philosophers and philosophers, it's like, I, I got to learn so much, but only because I wanted to, and, I, I, and and the way I would you know like jump from philosopher to philosopher made me understand exactly what kind of philosophy I' like. And so that basically narrowed down to philosophy of mind in general, um, and how there's a distinction between mind and body, so that's where Descartes comes in. And you mentioned earlier how you know Descartes and Kant also probably people are heavily fed up. Uh, whoever is like a philosophy student out there, you know, that at least in like uh, an undergraduate degree, there's a lot of Kant and Descartes references in every possible year, every possible um, subject that you take uh, in your uh, year. They they keep they keep on repeating the same uh, names uh, like Descartes and Kant, but I feel like both of them are heavily important because they were the ones who at least shaped the way we see you know philosophy as a divided science today so we have metaphysics we have ontology and we have epistemology and within that you know some people would divide ontology to meta-ontology so we only get all those distinctions from these two main philosophers and so I feel like in order to really understand what philosophy is is you have to he, you have to jump into whatever the subject matter is in front of you it, with the with the mindset that you're going in there to understand what they're talking about but not trying to learn oh so x plus x is going to be this you know um, so like what do you think about uh, <laughs> philosophy of mind
1: um,
0: or if you're interested well- philosophy of language, because I know you're interested in a bit of linguistics and semantics.
1: Uh, I mean, I wouldn't really dive into semantics or um, uh, in general linguistics, because of course it's interesting, but uh, it's just too often abstract topic that um, we can speak about. But um, I think it's important to speak about something that you can actually apply to life, uh, apply to reality, because when you're speaking about uh, philosophers as Descartes or Kant, who you uh, mentioned as those uh, uh, who are being studied in university the most. I mean, their philosophy, at least you can apply to reality. Um, such as oh doubt everything you know well th- that you can actually apply don't trust this don't trust your senses or don't trust uh, something that was established before of course there are things like mathematical knowledge that you have to uh, trust and you have to acknowledge but in the end of the day y- y- it's still important to ask yourself questions in my understanding it's important to acknowledge that there are other philosophers uh, or profound mi- minds in general academic academics who are uh, much more, not much more, but actually are as important as Descartes or Kant. And I believe that university does study them a lot. You you can apply, you know, uh, theoretics of Foucault. You, you can look at the way he observes uh, our reality and the way he's saying when Kant was trying to say, oh, it's important to find, you know, universal laws. Well. In the end of the day, something is disproven at a certain point. His universal ethics and morals have disproved at certain moment, and um, I think that's what's important to acknowledge. It's not, it's not the most important to find the universals, as Foucault would say. It is sometimes just important just to question them. You don't have to find it. You, you, you can just question them, and perhaps just from this questioning, you can get uh, more information or more knowledge than before, because every time you try to find something, you try to define something, you're creating a new system, and this creating and this creation of new system is is kind of wrong, because in the end of the day, you're trying to find the center of something, and this is where, which uh, you mentioned, uh, that I'm interested in linguistics. I will uh, I, I didn't want to dive into, but in the end of the day, I um, it, it's happening, so you know when you're finding, when you're trying to find a center of something, you're trying to define something. And this is you creating a structure. And this is where if, uh, this is where I would recommend to read Derrida because he uh, position, positioned himself as someone who was, whose job was to find the center and to take it out to decenter it. This is where we come across the idea of decentering the center, uh, which is very important to understand because every time we're trying to find something and as soon as we find it, what's next? What happens when we define the structure? How can you ask questions? How can you continue searching for new answers if you have the center, you have the structure and everything seems kind of working? You cannot go beyond that. Everything that you create beyond that is not gonna make sense. So you have to decenter the center in order to continue uh, searching for something. But this is just a post-structuralist approach, which, of course, is just uh, important to understand and to know that it exists. But this is where we are probably going to take our talk towards the Greek philosophers, that we're just asking the question, what? You know, and just trying to uh, define the basic things, which are not actually basic. And I'm speaking about things, What? what is truth, for example? And I, I, I bet... Uh, no one is going to answer this question just in one sentence, or two sentences, or even a paragraph, it's, uh, or even a book. Uh, a lot of people have, de- have tried to define it, and people define it in a variety of different terms, depending on the time, and uh, so on. But um, I think it's just important to understand that um, more than instit- institutes forget about certain philosophers, such as Greek philosophers, who were there in the beginning, because everything takes roots from something. And there is, it's important to acknowledge that. And for example, the same Kant or the same Descartes wouldn't exist without those Greek philosophers. Of course, some of them had bizarre ideas. And I'm speaking about Aristotle and and 80% of his writings, which were uh, very bizarre, but uh, very interesting to read because it's just, um, it's, uh, it's impressive to see how a human mind can come up with something that is that absurd that abstract and i wouldn't even call it absurd in a bad way is just how a human mind can define something and this uh, this creation of the system uh, and the uh, and the continuation and the way we continue to create those systems is fascinating but sometimes it's not about creating something it's just trying to find the answers for something that already exists so
0: so what are your views on reductionism as opposed to post-structuralism
1: here, I wouldn't even uh, refer to... Um, I mentioned post-structuralism just to uh, mention one of the latest waves of um, the modern, the contemporary scholars attempting to define something, to deal, at the end of the day, the same Derrida, by saying that, well, we have to you know decenter the center because someone already found the center. He, he, he kind of coined the term. <laughs> so he, he created the system himself. So in the end of the day, it's everything is paradoxical. You, the, like someone is trying to destroy the system by creating another system. And in the beginning, one had a aim to, to destroy the system. So it doesn't exist, but by in the process, another one was created. So it's important to understand that everything works on a specific meta level. So in reductionism goes to a certain degree, we're always trying to reduce something, I will ask you a different question here. Well, why do you believe we're trying to reduce everything? Why do you think reduction, and why why we're simplifying everything?
0: I think I would uh, go back to your Derrida point that we're trying to decenter the center, uh, and reductionism would already be like another mechanism, another structural way in order to get to that center. Because we're reducing everything. We're reducing every material object, or immaterial experience to this one particular uh, reduced element and that's also in one way can be interpreted as coming to the center or coming to the truth with the capital T it's 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 but, a, but, take all these different approaches where we're going towards the same you know end conclusion or we're trying to seek the same conclusion if we're not going to it. That answers
1: my question to a certain degree, but I think I'm trying to, I'm going to repeat my question. Well, why do you think we're over, we are simplifying everything as human beings? Because you just gave the definition of decent, you just basically explained why we're decentering to like, what, what's how decentering works. But why do we as human beings always tend to simplify everything why do we why are we trying to take this enormous amount of information enormous amount of something and just try, try to reduce it to just one something it isn't it the same as trying to find the answer in the end of the day we're just eliminating something so it's easier for us to understand don't you think so
0: yes yeah. like at the top of my head i would say it's 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 just another mechanism of trying to understand something fully so in order to grasp something fully You would reduce everything all the way down to this one thing and just say oh this is the the, this is the source of this whole process or of this whole structure and and so you know reductionism would also be just a way of trying to understand a particular situation to the to its core core uh you know level of understanding that one can possibly attain so it's already you know simplifying understanding which as you said it's completely true
1: so I, I think that, uh, that answers your question in terms of my position of reductionism and post-structuralism. I, I, I believe they're the same to a certain degree and us creating something new or creating specific new systems is just us changing uh, the name of it. It's the same idea as we have in contemporary world saying that rebranding. What happens when you do rebranding? You create a new label so it looks different, cool. And then you create a different name But in general, it's the same thing. It's just it has a different name. It perhaps looks different, but it acts the same. So it's just it has a different effect on people. So it always existed. And that's in my understanding. There is no need of trying to identify what part uh, you prefer, what system you prefer. It's important to acknowledge that, well, both of those systems exist. And it's important to look, It's not just it's important, not just to compare which one is better, but it's also important to find the comparison. And this is where also Derrida comes in handy because he was by his term deconstruction. He was also You know, he was telling to telling us that if there is a coin and the coin has two sides when let's say when we're speaking about Men and women and we're speaking about their uh, who who is standing who, who is there on the top that it is a man's society or it's a women's society and so on. Like, why would we try to find the differences? Because in the end of the day, men cannot exist without women and women cannot exist without men. It's important to look on both of those sides. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to go somewhere deep in the topic or try to have an effect on sensitive sides of this argument is just I'm in general. So you can take any, any argument like that. It's the same left or right. Why would you look at just left and right or good and bad? What's the point of choosing between one another? It's important to look at both of those sides in order to understand the full picture, because this is the only way one can understand the full picture. You cannot choose between, you, you have to accept the whole. And only when you accept the whole, and when you speak about the whole, then you can, uh, in my understanding, uh, gain specific amount of knowledge. And even then, it pro- it's, it's probably gonna be wrong or it's probably going to be right, but it's not going to be an ending point where you ha- you can finish with the topic, it will continue you will always discover something new. So th- that's my understanding of when you compare post structuralism or reductionism. there is you, you can define both of them, but in general it's important to acknowledge that both of them exist and they actually pursue a similar kind of idea uh, in general, even though they have different kind of definitions.
0: Yeah, no, that's very true. Like, it makes me think how even, you know, when you take the mind and brain argument or the argument of empirical or esoteric, uh, you know, there's always like there's two kinds of uh, main, you know, ideologies existing within our civilization towards, you know, what is the structure of reality? Some people would look at it empirically, look at it through the lens of science, through physics through quantum mechanics and there are people who would see it through the medium of through theological definitions or mystical explanations through navigating through mythologies and saying oh you know there's there's an external higher power but science is also in, in a way trying to uh, like find that one particular answer like where are we coming from where are we going you know uh, I had like one of my friends uh on this podcast who said that there are you know five main questions about who, how, what, where, and when, and so we're all trying to you know navigate through all these different questions in order to understand reality, either you choose the empirical way of understanding it or you choose like the mystical and esoteric way of understanding it but but at the same time, we're all just trying to seek one answer and and it's out there somewhere and everyone has a certain amount of time in their lifetime where they can reflect on it but ultimately it's the same answer we all as human beings are seeking
1: and what do you think this answer is if you're saying that there is um one answer that exa- in my understanding just to say I-, I wouldn't say agree with it or not because uh, again i as I mentioned before, I'm not gonna be on a particular side of anything. I, I, I'm just interested in examining something. And here, uh, I, um, I want to believe that there is one answer and it's a very cool possibility that there is one universal thing that answers everything. But then I'm also thinking that, well, why is it bad to have more than one answer? Why a human being cannot have an answer for just oneself? Because in the end of the day, I mean, um, there there is a possibility of me, perhaps, finding something the way uh, we pursue life, the way what what gives me happiness. It's the same as Seneca, you know, uh, a Roman Stoic, one of the first ones, who actually uh, discovered and uh, created the school of Stoicism, you know, he he was arguing about um, the shortness, shortness of our life and the way we deal with it, because some people are uh, not wasting, but spending their whole time on creating their career, pursuing the career path, going for the money. Some people are pursuing the path of of, uh, creating a family, you know, and the family can be uh, spoken about in variety of terms as uh, speaking about the blood, uh, blood relations, or just creating friends who are are becoming your family, you know, and uh, so on. Some people are just uh, wasting, in fact, they're wasting their time on uh, different purposes, trying to, to, uh, trying to define something that shouldn't be even defined. It just should be uh, accepted as it is, more of Eastern philosophy, you know, uh, acceptance. In general, he was just speaking about one simple idea that there is no reason to, uh, you know, there is just one simple understanding that life will come to an end in certain way at certain moment, and we don't know when, but the beauty is that we shouldn't waste our life and we, we should always be active. We should not just pursue something. We shouldn't just pursue that something that we call happiness because in our world, we speak a lot about something that um, a lot of people ask, what do you desire? So what what, happen, what is happiness in your understanding? And for majority of people, it's money, for example well do money actually bring you happiness i mean we we can look at some of the roman emperors who, uh, who were desiring and speaking about the fact that they had everything they had all the blessings of the gods but then how much they desired just to have one day with off of their work without solving governmental problems without being there for everyone of just having this one single moment of life where this was a moment about them and not them thinking about someone. So this happiness, which exists in terms of money or power, well, in the end of the day, our preferences change once we get to this stage. And suddenly when we have money, we desire something else. We desire to be not poor, but we desire not to have all these responsibilities and so on. So it's like a reverse role. And uh, in my understanding, that's also important to acknowledge that when you choosing specific something, it's important to understand that with this specific something, there is responsibilities that are gonna come in and you have to think even to that point. Additionally, it's the true happiness is when, in my understanding, is when you choose something and you say, well, you know, I will think of the way how I will achieve it and I will spend my time achieving it And when you achieve it, you create a new goal and these goals should just continue existing because this is what particularly defines you. In my understanding, what is a human being uh, which says that, well, I I have a fulfilled life. How can you fulfill your life? It means that you reach everything that, let's say, an omnipotent and omnipotent uh, being can achieve and that's when we're speaking about something higher than a human being in general, so here I wouldn't say that of course we desire this is this all comes from our desire to be closer to this god figure to this someone universal who as you're saying uh, that, that's the reason why we're trying to find this one answer, but I mean th- there is there is there is this someone <laughs> who knows one answer perhaps, and why, why are you trying to to be that? You, you, you. We human beings will never be able to achieve, and we actually don't, in my understanding, need to be gods or a god or whatever. It's, it's a question of us just um, knowing that we're imperfect, and being imperfect is beautiful. It's beautiful to not fulfill something, to not fulfill something. You don't have to completely get to hundred degree, hundred percent, because then. it's 100%. You cannot go beyond that. And that's my understanding. Although, of course, you can argue that there is something beyond the 100% because this is the way we structure the world. But still, it's just you shouldn't create an ending point of anything. You should create something after something after something after something. And at this moment, you create your own beautiful universe, your beautiful reality, where you will strive, you will want to become better. And um, I think that answers your question to a certain degree related to one answer of everything. There is no one answer for everything in my understanding. And if there is Well, I praise those people and I would like to speak with those people because I, I I'm sure they're very enlightened and I'm sure they will enlighten me as well to a certain degree. Uh, but uh, in my understanding, those who know the answer for everything and is just one answer they're God. so it would be pretty amazing to meet up with the God, but uh, I don't think there's anyone who is alive who can do that. But it's a beautiful utopia where, uh, it's a beautiful utopian world where one can um, exist, so. Mm
0: -hmm. No, like going back to when you asked me what's the one question or what's the exact one answer to that one question we're looking for, what comes into my mind is like, maybe we're trying to find at an effective level The existential meaning behind this life that we're given right and the other way the other of course to the effective way of thinking about this is that we're trying to find out why we're here which is again you know effectively connected but the models can differ like we can say that distentially in a in a esoteric in a philosophical where we're trying to find this one particular meaning behind life, like what we're given this life, what should we do with it? And then we have, on the other hand, oh, why are we here? Uh, looking at it from an empirical point of view, or is this a simulation? Uh, or um, questions like that in general. So uh, yes, I mean, you're very correct in saying that there are a lot of answers. And if every if a one person is able to know all these answers, his purpose in life is somewhat like not there anymore or he or she might not want to be able to uh look at other um you know questions because all questions are answered if all questions are answered as you said you're probably a god which is 100 percent truth and so you know this thing comes into my mind albert camus committed suicide because he thought that he had Um, I mean as far as I've read uh, in articles on the internet that he thought that he had completed or for some reason life had no more reason uh, for in in order for him to exist so that's also like a very different outlook that throughout his career he published all these different sorts of books very interesting books um, but like he committed suicide in the end because he he was like, oh, life, ha- like, life has absolutely no fucking meaning to it. And so that kind of like makes you think, okay, so if there is a meaning that we're trying to look for at an effective level, our, and even if we achieve it, then, you know, what's the, what's the point? Like, what's more to it? Is there anything more to answering questions? Or it's only that we were given the siphon, and so we're just going to experience it to our best potential and figure out as things, you know, go along the timeline. If we're able to achieve all the answers, we become the God, which we're trying to, you know, understand, which is very interesting if you, if you look at it through this lens.
1: I read his works and um, I, I'm aware of how he finished his life, but in my understanding that, yeah, like, how do you know that... My general question that I would like to ask is, how do you know that you've... You, that you are done with the life. How do you know that you completed your, your meaning? And in my understanding, this is where we can take even Nietzsche's approach of being master of your own, uh, being masterful. And here you have to be masterful in terms of we are the ones who create our own meaning. No one is forcing us. If I would like to sit on the sofa, sofa all day and watch TV, this is my, purely my decision. But I also, I'm also aware that if I decide to take a book and read it, perhaps something I, I, will, I will have interesting conclusions, I will have more knowledge, and I would be able to meet new people. But just sitting on the sofa, and, and I'm just deriving that from I can read a book at home, I can go to the uh, coffee shop and read a book there, uh, I can even sit on the bench outside and read a book. Uh, and uh, this will create a lot of different interactions, but we, we are the creators of our own uh, fate. It's, we, we can all, of course, argue that there is a domino effect and, of course, you know, everything was, uh, whatever we do is perhaps something that uh, is because of something that happened thousands years, years ago. And, of course, it's cool. You can look at it that way. And it comes to the question of freedom, that the beauty of being a human being is that we, we decide what we can do. Of course, we are limited to a certain degree. Of course we are uh everywhere we're in chains you know even though we have this kind of freedom that surrounds us it's not really true but the freedom that we do have is the freedom of our certain actions uh the freedom of uh um choosing what path are uh, would we like to pursue and for example in your understanding it's you would like to pursue academic path which is beautiful and the only person who uh decided that you would want to pursue the academic path is you, no one else, no, not your parents, not your friends. It was your decision. You could have chosen career path. You could have cho- You could have said that. Well, you know what? I would like to start working in a shop, and I would work as a cashier, and then you know I would be a top cashier, and then I will become a manager, and so on, and continue down this path. But you said no. I would like actually to spend my life studying. I would like to be a scholar, and this suits me so much that um, I, I, don't want, I don't wish anything else. And this is completely your choice. And this is what I would say being masterful. Certain, a large amount of people believe that there is a specific uh, fate, that there is a specific uh, path that is indicated for everyone. Of course, we are limited by things like bureaucracy. Of course, we have to, for example, get a degree in order to have a specific uh, job in the world. Because certain jobs you cannot apply just without degree. you cannot just come in and say, well i' I'm, I'm, I'm that and that." Uh, the next the, one of the first questions which you will have is, well, can we see your CV? You cannot just run away from it. You have to have work experience, you have to have uh, finished. You have to have a degree from high school, let's say from university, from MBA, whatever. Some people have different CVs, but you have to have this just like a piece of paper which basically opens different gates for you. And everything that works in our world is particularly, uh, or in general uh, works on this specific diff- specific papers, you know. So we can look at through that way, but it's you being masterful. It's you deciding that I know for sure that if I want to work in the company named X, I have to, of course, this information is going to be in the is not going to be in the Internet or perhaps it's not going to be that obvious. But I know that I have to get a degree from high school. I have to get work experience in between uh, or even work and study at the same time. I have to uh, get bachelor degree and not just any bachelor degree, but perhaps from a good university in specific area with specific grades so I can get into master's and so on. Uh, But this is me deciding that, well, this is the path. Perhaps there are some other people who are just geniuses and who are just being noticed uh, in the middle of the path and they don't even manage to uh, finish it. Or there are some others who do something accidentally and they get to specific positions or it's just by connections just because your family knows someone and then they know someone and so on and suddenly you just get a position which you technically don't deserve but you're there and you can call it anyway but in the end of the day it's you deciding what you would like to do it's what it's you deciding what you're capable of and of course in the modern world we can reduce But that's where where I don't like reductionism, where I'm I'm pretty sure you would like to ask me a question, but what about the people who are less fortunate, less privileged? And I mean, here, of course, yes, I can say that, well, some inequality is something that exists in our world, and it's sad. It's it's very sad that uh, bright kids cannot apply to specific schools or universities. They, just, they don't have money or the government is being unfair in terms of grants and giving the scholarships out to even those who are already privileged enough. And of course I call this unfair, but there are some, some things that you can battle against and you cannot win. And you can try to battle against, but you're not gonna be able to change the system at the whole. Unfortunately, it's not just you, it's the whole system has to change. So what you can do here in no matter what, privileged or not privileged or high class, low class, you can always try. I I encountered in my life different types of people coming from different social statuses that uh, actually have a better position than me in work, that actually have a higher education than me. And yeah, of course, I will hear from them that they were working day and night and studying at the same time and not sleeping probably for like three years, more than five hours. It's it's hard work, it's very inspiring when you hear uh, about those people. And then you understand that reality is relatively tough, but it's possible. And when you see those people who prove that, well, they can be masterful, they can achieve whatever they want just because they desire it, you know, it's, it's amazing. You can see how this world generally works and how you can apply it. But then you have a counter example of those privileged kids who, let's say, or privileged people, not even kids, privileged people in general, who have all those amazing opportunities, but don't use them. Just because they're saying that well I don't want this I don't have time for this being lazy let's say and in the end of the day those those opportunities never repeat again they never appear in their lives and they lose something Uh, so that's in my understanding being masterful is finding different opportunities and not just saying no to them but evaluating them and as much as you can saying yes to them because there is a small chance that every single opportunity can bring something amazing to your life. Perhaps some people will say, not support you, will say that it is stupid, it's unrational. But I mean, if you don't say yes to it, if you don't try, you will never know. And the same way, if you say no to it, well, you perhaps miss the best opportunity of your life. It's just someone else will take it and they will be lucky instead of you. So it's not a question of, you know, inequality or in this, in this matter. You can just
0: make- realize how broad reality truly is and how open to abstraction it is because we have metaphysical speculations about the world, the external reality. We have ontological speculations about our existence and then we have epistemological uh, speculations about the objects around us and, and we're all trying to first of all, like exist, but at the same time, understand why are we here? And so, you know, when the whole social aspect comes in play in in, in our civilization, in our community, there's always this question of why was I born poor? Or why was I born rich? Like, why is there this sort of distinction within our reality? So people would try to answer those questions to, to religious, uh, you know, speculations or or their own, uh, or completely deny it and say, you know, society is basically just a construct. So if we're born into it, we're born into it. So there's like two ways of, you know, kind of questioning the social aspects of this reality that we exist in. And when I, you know, look at any kind of ontological speculations, I totally relate it to like, okay, this is an affective, uh here's where, where, I, where I try to combine philosophy with psychology is that I try to say, oh, ontological speculations are just an affective way of looking at the world, or metaphysical speculations are an empirical way to examine the construct of reality and society too. And so these questions uh, are usually talked about, but they, you cannot derive a particular answer out of there because there is no answer like that's what i feel like i mean there's there's a lot of questions there's a lot of meanings there's a lot of ways we can answer it but ultimately to conclude that oh objectively i think this is one answer and it you know it basically answers everything there's no one such answer objectively that every subjective person or every you know subjective persona could be like, oh, I relate to this, because there's a sense of relation, there's a sense of uh, association when we try to navigate through all these different meanings and come into one conclusion, and it makes it makes uh, total sense, you know. Sometimes when you look at the construct of society, now we're in 2020, we have you know, severe ways to just transport ourselves, but there's no way to transport ourselves instantly. Maybe we'll reach there one day, you know, but there's still not that one particular way, you know, we can blend metaphysics and ontology and epistemology and go to this one direction, because as you mentioned, you know, there are different effects, like you mentioned, domino effect. We, you know, usually consider cause and effect, like the causal relations as, kind of basic and inherent to reality, right? But when I say reality is broad, but also open to abstraction, is that we can also say, you know, effect can do a cause. So that's what we see in artistic, uh, you know, um, the ways people try to derive meaning within life. Artists, authors, especially authors who write about fiction reality. So dystopia, utopia, they try to blend reality according to their imagination in a way that the abstraction that comes out of that, that the abstraction, which is the end product uh, is usually something that we would say, oh, that is not possible. Like how can effect cause something because it's already happened because it's in the future, right? So it's also mixing up the timelines, but then you see uh, creative artists like Christopher Nolan, you know, he, uh, in his movie, the recent one, Tenet, he basically blended all these different concepts that we have and he showed, oh, this is this way also to look at reality. So there's also this abstractive element there. And so within all this abstraction and, and reality that we have, how are we going to conclude objectively, oh, this is the one reason why everything's happening, or this is the one reason why we're all here. So I feel like you know, there's a lot of ways. And as you said, you know, humans have a tendency to uh, do what what they like, ultimately. So the reason why I would pursue a certain uh, section of academy is because I most relate to it. So that's where the re- relation comes in, in an association. So we as humans, by default, you know, are structured in a way that we try to pick up things which are, you know, most pleasing to us so there's like a satisfaction level as well so that's where we try to ontologically speculate the meaning of our existence so you know a lot of people say artists are pseudo-mystics or artists are you know uh more uh, likely to have psychotic illnesses in them it's because we're not ready to accept the reality that artists can speculate reality through abstraction in a way That they can derive meaning within their abstraction and be okay with it completely. Uh, You know, we have a lot of artists today who paint, who, uh, you know, sing through musical, you know, musical uh, speculations, we can say, you know, they, they try to everyone in one way or the other is trying to ultimately understand reality by the way they choose to live their life. So, you know, we have a lot of books nowadays you know about how to live your life or the subtle art of not giving a fuck you know books like that i i just like it It just comes into my mind that there's no one yeah maybe a lot of people would be able to relate to that one way but you know ultimately it comes down to the association and relation aspect of human psychology that we as humans would always either intuitively or you know uh interest-wise, connect to this one particular method to derive meaning. So we're all just on a journey, but that's the thing. There's no one objective way. Even, you know, when I try to, in my own, like, studies, try to understand what's, you know, the objective, it is very hard to determine the objectives because I feel like, you know, the objective would ultimately be my subjective objective. Like, there's no one true... Yes, yeah, there's gravity, but we can bend gravity too, like this dark matter out there, this matter out there that we don't know about, that we can, you know, totally artistically bend. You know, it's it's possible. That's, you know, that's why I say reality is very much open to abstraction too. So, you know, reality is also a construct in a way because we created this whole aspect of oh, what's real, what's unreal. So, you know, we can go on and on about this one particular philosophical speculation as to why we're here what we're doing where we're going but there's no one true you know subjective or objective answer that I feel like everyone in this planet could relate to so you know like you're interested in philosophy uh and, and and Foucault as you said and Foucault talked about a lot of things you know one of the most interesting things I think that I you know recently read in my Um, you know studies was that panopticism right we discussed that in our one of our years and it was one of the best just idea or or in in thinking uh, you know that I feel like was very very, that was almost revolutionary at that point because you know during that century we had Foucault was you know peers with Sartre was peers with all these different French intellectuals and He had his own different philosophy where he he came into conclusion that we're all being surveyed or like uh, we're all being observed constantly. You know, like I have a laptop in front of me. Yes, we're able to communicate, but maybe there's someone else also watching. Who knows? Right. So that was one of the most interesting things. I don't know. Like, what do you think about panopticism? Like and and especially now that we have Zoom and, you know, I feel like pre-COVID, there was not that much. Uh, speculation about panopticism, but because of COVID and after COVID and like we're still in COVID, you know, there's increased, uh, you know, globalization, increased age of information, increased use of digital, you know, mediums, that I feel like panopticism now being an idea from 19th century is much more, uh, much more observed or much more realized. So what do you think about panopticism and and now?
1: I think the idea of panopticism is, um I mean, it always existed, that's first of all. I mean, uh, in order to understand, I think it's important to uh, define what it is. And in in the contemporary age, it is the fact that we are being observed um, throughout uh, every, we've been been observed every uh, single day. And I'm not necessarily uh, speaking of through the camera of Zoom or something. Uh, We we can uh, leave this out. I think when we're going out, let's say, there are CCTV cameras everywhere. And uh, I think this is also related to what uh, Foucault was generally saying. This is, uh, this is the way, uh, this is why he was so uh, fond of Nietzsche, uh, because Nietzsche had similar ideas. He was not speaking about panopticism. He was just speaking about something else, but I will bring it up later on. Um, but first about panopticism. So the idea is that we've we been observed every single day this is the reason why he was against universal uh, uh, rules for everyone. This is why he was not so fond of uh, Rousseau or Marx or Kant, because all of those guys were just trying to universally define something, create universal ethics, morals, uh, which were supposed to be good for the people. And of course, we'll take something that is a creation of modern uh, centuries of such a uh, such thing I'm speaking about is a social contract. Yeah, of course, it binds us together. Of course, it dictates specific rules and gives you different cool features uh, which allow you to exist in our society, such as you going out to shop, let's say, to buy a bottle of beer, and you're not going to be attacked and killed. Well, of course, no one takes this possibility out, but at least... Uh, the person who is going to was planning to do this was planning to rob you or do something. Uh, he or she will be aware of the fact that well, he or she is observed. There is always this CCTV camera there is the sense of security that you personally have because of the social contract but what happens in the end of the day when it was created um, even the creator uh, of the person who coined the terms the social contract or so was uh, s- speaking about things such as uh, whenever we're, we're born free But, you know, nevertheless, we're we're everywhere, we're in chains. And this is the thing, like you're forced into this social contract in the end of the day, you're you're not just, no one asks you a question question anymore when you're brought into this world, uh, both, and I'm both, I'm speaking about being born into this world and just brought into the society, let's say someone from indigenous tribe. If you want to be part of the society, you are part of the society. There is no other uh, way you can dictate the rules. You cannot just come in and say, well, I do not like that I'm being observed through CCTV camera throughout my whole walk. Well, sorry, if you would like to be part of the society, you have to accept it because this is how the society operates. And this is where we are giving away uh, our freedom for this so-called safety. And again, this freedom as well, uh, this safety again, is not really safety. Right now, we can see that um, how this uh, safety in fact Kind of works uh, because through the throughout these recordings through the way we're being observed we're, we we can be easily controlled we can be easily manipulated. Uh, there are a variety of ways the governments have already proved that they can use uh, those cameras uh, not just against the people. I would say they of course it is used for, as precautions as something that would protect us against let's say in this case it's the pandemic. But nevertheless it's something that is giving information about us constantly um, which I would say is became something that in, um, takes away our privacy completely. Now it's not just a question of freedom that was taking away because I, I divide freedom and privacy. Now, even you, when you've been home, it's not necessarily, you're not necessarily, uh, you cannot just have a private conversation even currently. Like it doesn't matter from zoom or WhatsApp or anything it's a fact now that whenever you speak about something in whatsapp facebook gives you adverts and we're like a certain moment we're thinking of wow how how does facebook know that i want uh, uh, this grill well yeah i was speaking about this grill with my friend uh, let's say sam it's a cool grill but for some reason he knows exactly what i want he knows that i want this grill with like four different options and He's giving me an amazing price. So like, this is how it works now. If it was before, it was just uh, for safety. Now it's, it's going a little further. This is where uh, uh, there is a control over our freedom, and, which is complete control of our freedom. And you have to uh, be aware of it. You have to, be, uh, to understand that this is not something, this is not just a coincidence because in general, there is no coincidences. And uh, uh, this is where panopticonism uh, steps in. It takes away freedom. It takes away your privacy. And uh, we just have to understand that it's not going to just stop on a uh, simple idea of CCTV cameras being there. It's not going to stop on the idea of data mining. It's not going to stop on simple ideas. And this is not uh, conspiracy theories or whatever. Uh, I believe that governments try to do the best they can protect. But then, uh, again, I'm not going to go into this uh, topics deep enough because everyone has their own interests. So this, this is what is important to understand. Government is a completely different structure. It's, it's an institute as well, and we give it power. And at a certain moment, people who gave it power uh, don't actually have a possibility to take the power away from the government itself. And it's uh, stopped being a democracy or stops being whatever we call it. It's uh, the same idea as you can call democracy a democracy, but in the end of the day, it doesn't follow exactly the rules of democracy as it's supposed to. Everything changes every time, whenever there is someone new coming in with their personal interests, and uh, that, that's how it works. And I think Nietzsche was uh, given also an idea of what's going to interfere with our culture, what's going to interfere with our progress. And this progress is when we're going to start giving attention and paying attention to a specific I said, when we're going to try to deal with the uh, specific problems that we have in, in a wrong way, that at a certain moment when we're going to try to destroy completely discrimination, completely take away inequality, uh, completely doing this and this, it might be for the good cause. And it is for the good cause of course no one likes inequality of course no one likes discrimination and segregation it's bad it's terrible and uh, I I believe that no one should experience it but unfortunately we live in the world where it exists it happens it is happening currently it was happening before and it will happen in the future as much as we don't want it to be uh, in the end of the day our actions just create those conditions and we can look at the previous uh, historic events that actually happened this year, uh, which were terrible. And of course, uh, I'm speaking about uh, uh, discrimination of specific group of people or even the, mon- the minorities, everything. It's uh, I'm not against them. I completely adore what is happening. And I believe this is great for our humanity. But in the end of the day, this is what Nietzsche was paying attention to. When we're giving too much power to specific groups, when we're giving specific, when we're trying to make something better, when we're trying to uh, cancel out whatever we did, we're destroying our culture, we're destroying whatever was there, and we're not looking at the history, we're kind of repeating the history all over again, we're just, we're naming it differently, we are, uh, instead of actually correcting it, we're doing every possible side action, instead of just simply just striking the goal, and just dealing with it. Uh, It's the same as destroying the monuments. It's the same as uh, um, creating a variety of different groups. It's the same as banning different authors and so on. Instead of just doing this, there are specific actions that one uh, one can do in order to, uh, to change the world in this manner. But the truth is that if human beings really wanted to change the world, this action would have been taken. Instead, something else is done because we just try to come up with the new ways but we don't want to look and to observe uh, what history is showing us and this is where panopticism, uh, panopticism comes in as Foucault was saying as well because right now it's just before we had prisons and before it was just a context before like we what if we live in the same kind of prison what if it is right now it's just a digital prison in terms of oh we have a city and we have the cameras around well Ain't it the same form of prison that um, it, it exists for those who committed crimes? Let's say we're being observed, like we're animals in the zoo. Let's say we we are still we we're being under control. And in the end of the day, the only ones whose fault is that is the human beings who are actually desire to have this desire to have the safety, which we are now suffering and trying to change because we want more freedom. But as soon as we're going to gain more freedom, again there are going to be talks about. Well, I'm scared. I don't want that much freedom. I want everything to be safe again. And it's just going to go on and on and on and on, which is uh, beautiful in in a certain sense and uh, actually resembles uh, the zeitgeist. It's the same as before we are all about consumerism. Everything about spending money on specific things. Oh, I want a new laptop because it's cool. Or I want a new la- iPhone because, you know, it's pretty. Um, if I have a last iPhone, you know, it means I have a, sp- a specific social status. It means I'll have a beautiful, I, I can make different selfies. I can make selfies every hour and then or every 10 minutes and just post on Instagram and everyone can like it and so on. Well, yeah, but now it's changing again because it's not consumerism anymore. Now we found something else. Now it's very popular to root for all, let's say, the minorities, for all the groups that have been offended. And the funny thing is, is the same people who were probably putting offensive stuff on the internet and still are being offensive. It's just they don't really know about it. They, they just follow the trend that exists. So that's what I'm trying to say in this way. And this panopticism can be looked uh, from different points. It's not just uh, surveillance. It's literally uh, everything that we as human beings create around us. We give it meaning, we define it, and we make it uh, incredibly valuable. Uh, that's why Facebook and Instagram and every, all those platforms have such power over, over us. If everyone is gonna not boycott it, but say, well, we don't. If we, if we really don't want this data mining, if we really don't want WhatsApp and Facebook uh, to know what kind of drill you want or what you're speaking with friends, you know, it's relatively easy to stop it. But in the end of the day, if people actually wanted, they would have done it. So the same goes to everything else, in my understanding.
0: So going back to when you said oh, like I'm going to my Instagram and I see, oh, I, I like I'm interested in buying these type of shoes, but how did Instagram know that this is what I'm looking for? So there's a really good documentary out there on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, that basically unfolds, you know, what's happening, uh, at least, you know, panopticist, panopticism wise, currently in our civilization. And you're 100% right about, uh, you know, history repeating itself true. I remember when I was like sitting in my bed and like all this thing things happening, you know, Black Lives Moment and like Trump and like all, all, just all of this, you know, within, and also there's like a global pandemic going on. Uh, I'm just like, okay, so how do I solve all of this problem? Like, what can I do to solve what's going on right now? Because there's a public health crisis and there's a crisis uh, of human rights. And so in order for those human rights to be recognized or somehow compromised by the government, they have to protest. But if they're gonna protest, there's going to be less social distancing. And so the public health factor gets affected uh, because of that. So how do I devise like a structure or, or an idea in order to solve all of these problems where Turns out there there is no one such idea like we think democracy is the ultimate, you know, good social structure that we as humans can live in. But is it really because democracy is also flawed? It is flawed because it implies individualism. And if everyone is going to be an individualist, they're going to have their own ideas. And they're going to like their ideas more than anyone else's and so how is a communal consensus going to come out of this thing there's going to be no consensus, and so if there's no consensus there's no civilization, because no one, you know, agrees uh, about things like the other people do and so. I was sitting down and I was thinking, oh, maybe we should try creating new models. Why are we pertaining to democracy, communism, socialism? Maybe we can try to create new models because the way time goes is that we, we ascend into the future. And so if we're just going to come, you know, like take the past and you know, put it in the present and, and somehow also try to create something, it's, we're never truly going to move forward. You know, we're like, this is 2020, we still have human rights problems, we, we still have all these basic human problems that, you know, people would think, you know, oh, that should not exist, because it's 2020, you know, like liberalism and everything, but it exists, it exists. First of all, I feel like the basic one problem is the lack of education, you know. We we think that everyone has a certain sense of knowledge about the world, but not everyone has ha- access. As you say, you know, the social element comes in. Not everyone uh, has the same access to education as someone else would. And so, you know, maybe the first thing we should try to do is educate people. Oh, you're you're a human being. The reason why we have basic sciences or basic Uh, you know, history or basic, any of these things in our formative years, like in middle school and in, in, in high school almost, you know, we have the same service more or less worldwide. The reason why we have it is that we want to educate the people coming into this world that this is what the world is. And so now you know, and so now you can go and make whatever you want to make out of it. But if if at a very basic level, you know, in the society, uh, there's a section of people who do not understand what, you know, the world really is or how it really works, there's always going to be problems like there's no way, you know, we can, we can surpass this problem. So, you know, I, so I wrote down in my diary that maybe, you know, education, that's where we should start. So that's also like a reductionism a way that that I'm trying to reduce it to one problem. But problems are there. Problems are even there with education, educated people, you know, there are educated retards out there that there are educated, but still won't be able to understand certain subjects. So how do we deal with those people? That's a problem. And, uh, And now we have, you know, this increased digital atmosphere where everyone, you know, is being observed, more or less every human being is on, you know, certain kind of social media platform. And so, one way to tackle this, people came up with cryptocurrency. So, they're like, okay, so in order to make transactions not that much visible in the eyes of the government or in the eyes of the other people or tax authorities, maybe we should try creating bitcoins and all sorts of cryptocurrency in order to remain secretive. And now, there are also like apps and stuff that you can, you know, send messages and it disappears. So, like, there's an app called Wicker, there's Telegram, there's so many apps like that. And so, there's like an increased sense of maintaining, uh, 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 like personal autonomy to to uh, to a highest level within every human being, and but we're also trying to exist, co you know, like as a community because this world cannot go forward if everyone has a problem with everyone else, and so how do we how do we try to solve this problem from one angle we can we can never do that the, the the answer to these questions are never democracy or a certain kind of political system because we think that you know there are certain le- there are certain people on certain higher levels in society and that they must have the answers or they must have the resources they may have the resources and they might have the solutions to your problems but to what level do you think they're going to come to you and 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 lay it all out for you you as a human being ultimately are you know the own judgment uh passing authority for yourself so if if i like especially with the whole you know uh, BLM movement that happened back in May and April. everyone's you know going crazy, people are looting, people are you know, taking protests to you know higher levels you know destroying monuments and, and uh, forcibly you know using violence as a way to you know oh we, we, we want human rights but that's ultimately now not how you're gonna get it because you're opposing human rights while you're demanding for it at the same time protests are such a you know such a social thing now so i would always like you know advise people yes go to protests because you know how how else how else is one sort of government going to realize that there's a problem within the system you have to make some kind of noise in order for the higher authorities to understand oh there's a problem here but you know taking it to extreme levels and justifying looting as a way of trying to get government's attention is so unjustified because they don't realize that they are destroying humanity in in order to you know somehow also say oh we're demanding human rights but that's not how you do it and so there's always you know these small small issues at such primitive levels so you cannot you just cannot solve it like that you have to have a thinking mind which every human being has in this world and, and a certain level of empathy. So everyone is able to understand what the other person is trying to say. So that's where the consensus comes in. You need to have a consensus in order for a civilization to exist. So that's why we have, oh, we have physics, we have gravity. So th- these are agreed upon laws, right? But at a very societal level, there's always a disruption because we all have individualistic ideas. We have all We all have our own uh, understanding of the universe so you know there's that problem and that problem is how are you going at a very individual level going to bend your interests in order to recognize the others and then also in in order to you know survive in harmony how are you going to bend these ideas within yourselves so there's a conflict between you know your own ideas about the world and what the other things so that's i feel like you know today's main problem is is trying to deconstruct society and and understand oh where are we coming from or why is this problem here because like now we have I'm pretty sure like now that we have vaccines and stuff every at one point it's going to be you know some people are already saying oh vaccines are there are people who don't believe in vaccines, right? So some people are already like, I'm not going to take vaccines or I'm not going to you know, inject this thing that Pfizer or Moderna or any pharmaceutical company has come up with because I don't know what is in there. You know, it can give me some sort of anxiety or whatever. But scientists on the other hand would be like, no, you should definitely take uh, vaccines in order to not only protect yourself, but the other. So there's like an interest for the other feel like there's going to be another problem now that we have like this whole distribution going on how do you think this is going to play out because distribution of vaccines can take up to three to four months like at large and 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 everyone's either going to be oh i'm for vaccines or i don't care about vaccines and there's going to be some sort of societal disruption from that and and i don't know how humans are going to look at this problem unless they're educated about it, you
1: know. Well, look, I mean, um, I don't have enough information to actually give opinion or to speak about this topic, but in general, there are a couple of things um, that one has to understand that it's relatively, it's gonna be relatively hard to force everyone to uh, be vaccinated because in order to, this to occur, one has to deal with such a human right as being able to uh, be free over your own body, so you cannot going to just say, well, you're going to just write in the new uh, law saying that, well, everyone has to be vaccinated. You, otherwise, you're going to be excluded from the society. Uh, this is basically a violation of very, very basic human rights. So if this happens, well, that's just one side of the argument. And this is relatively hard to see how people are going to uh, react to this, because it's, to a certain degree, I can agree with it. To a certain degree, I can disagree. It. Agree from the point of view that, well, if you want it to be over uh, and if the vaccines are working, because, again, we need to give it time. We don't really know when everything is going to come back to normal. And if there was a 100% chance, then, uh, you know, uh, Governments, nations would be speaking about it, but it's not happening. So uh, when uh, I guess we will see the 100% news, then that's something. But again, this is a question of trust and so on. But the first argument is uh, if we want it to be over and then everyone should be vaccinated. Okay, this is acceptable, but you cannot force every single human being uh, because this way you also lose trust. It's a human right to say that, well, I don't trust what is in the vaccine. Uh, although, on the other other hand, if it's working and if it's proved and it works on majority of people, there is no casualties, there is nothing like this, then it's a total different story. There are too many factors that would influence it. And the end of the day, I believe that uh, right now it's tough times, and we should uh, just understand that well. Majority, a lot of people suffer uh, from uh, this pandemic, and it's our whole. It's it's a battle for all of us to make sure that we return to normal and uh, it's important to understand that if certain groups are going to react to it in a way that well we don't want to contribute it is their uh, desire uh not to contribute to everyone's health in terms of uh you cannot just say no just out of your personal preferences sometimes you have to do something that is not just, you can, of course it is a question of I want to or not want to, but it is, this time it's a question of I need to. And the same goes to me. I cannot say what my opinion in terms of vaccines or if I trust them, if I don't trust them or something like this, because I want to hear the news. I like to, uh, I I want to read some reports. And if those reports already exist, beautiful. And And of course they exist already. And I read some of them, but still, I would like to receive more information. In the end of the day, uh, currently there is no access to vaccines. When they will they will be in excess, and they will be in need of me to be vaccinated uh, for the greater good of the humanity. In terms of every everything returning to normal, then it is my uh, it is my obligation to be part of it. So in in this way, because of course I'm suffering too, I want everything to return to normal. So if this will uh, go against my desire, and me saying, well, I don't want something to be put in my blood, but then it is something that uh, is going to allow everything to return to normal, well, the situation, uh, solution is quite obvious for me. So I think it will divide the world into two, two opinions, perhaps three or four as usually, but uh, it's just a matter of time. It's uh, if we want everything to be normal or not normal, but it will be totally an interesting, Um, it, it will be an interesting time to see how we as human beings uh, will operate because uh, as many say that this is the first time the whole world is kind of working together uh, i believe they've been moments when the world world, world was working together uh, beforehand is just right now there are too many variables we since then we made everything way more complex uh there are and those complications uh they do make the situation way harder that's why there are so many uh, variables that uh every single nation had to take in account such as human rights uh and uh, um I really hope that at those moments, if everything will be working, uh, we're not gonna encounter such problem with the prices for the vaccine, the availability of vaccines, uh, because right now it's not a question of who has the money for it or whatever. And I believe this is the time where our uh, population, well, our, our nations are gonna be checked in terms of how uh, they treat every single person within uh, the country. So uh, there is no, it's not a time for uh, discrimination of social classes because you cannot just take away one group because this group can really make the, compli- the situation way harder. So you have to give access to, vaccine, uh, to vaccines to everyone. And I think this will be a positive change to a certain degree because uh, perhaps uh, the governments will see that if you give this medical attention to everyone and if you give resources to everyone, perhaps it's not such a bad thing. We're not going to know now, but uh, future seems to be relatively interesting. I think that's uh, my uncertain opinion about the situation. Uh, I'm just looking forward to see what 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 will happen.
0: True, like even I am. I'm just sitting tight and and just seeing how things are going to ultimately play out with the distribution of these mRNA vaccines. But I feel like we covered so much content within this frame of time. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, like on that note, I think we can, you know, end this podcast and, and hope everyone, you know, turns out fine. And if, if if vaccines are indeed available to you and you see them as safe, you should take them uh, not only for yourself, but also for the good of others. Um uh, but yeah, everyone, stay healthy, stay safe, and thank you, Mark, for coming on the podcast. Super interesting. I'm going, I'm going to have you over all the time uh, because you're one of my closest friends, and so it's it's you know it's amazing that we can two just sit together. You're in Russia, I'm here, and have you know a head-to-head good conversation about how you know what is philosophy, what is panopticism. And what are the discussions around or speculations around COVID vaccines at the moment? We covered a good amount of uh, stuff. Thank you. Thank you for coming over.
1: I want to thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. Uh, It was a great conversation and a great dialogue that we uh, had. Uh, we indeed covered a variety of topics. I believe it's uh, it's relatively it's very insightful to have those kind of conversations in order to allow uh, yourself to think more about certain subjects, not even to uh, give the information to someone, but just for your own good. And uh, I really hope that uh, this is uh, what this podcast uh, is aiming to do: is uh, to uh, just give people. Uh, a certain understanding that it's important to think about all the, all of those topics, of every single topic, and not just to say no, I'm not interested, but just to even try to think about it, even for one or two minutes. That brings in itself a huge difference into the world, in my in my opinion. There is no stupid or not smart ideas. Is that there are ideas, there is thinking, and uh, this uh, the process is beautiful in its core. So, I really uh hope that your podcast is going to cover more uh interesting topics, and I'm sure uh that you will speak with more uh people who are interested in a variety of spheres too so wishing you the best of luck and uh, thank
0: you very much for having me again yeah, it's an absolute pleasure yeah.